Christmas, everybody, and whatever other holiday you might be celebrating today. But for us Christians, it's Christmas. And today's message, I'm, I'm bringing you a, a reverend, I believe he is. And he's going to give us a Christmas message about celebrating the holiday consciously. And what does that mean in your life? And TJ and I met because for the past four years while I've been writing, I've been working in the recovery industry. And I've gotten to meet the most awesome people because what I've learned about the recovery business and, you know, it's there's probably, let's say, a quiet moment for all the people who are still out there suffering is that the people who are there are there with the right heart. They're, they're not there. They're there to see and see if they can make a difference in one person's life. And sometimes that's what you get is one person's life. And I can think back all of those years ago, all of those Christmases ago when I was drinking and all of the drinking that went on in my household after usually a tumultuous night of fighting and storming. And, and when I stopped drinking, I don't know, that was 30 years ago, I had to learn how to create a Christmas holiday that was conscious in my life and worked for me. So I'm really looking forward to his message today. Let me give you his formal bio. T.J. Woodward is a spiritual author, inspirational speaker, awakening coach, and addiction counselor who has helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. He is the author of the groundbreaking new book, Conscious Recovery, a fresh perspective on addiction and the creator of the Conscious Recovery Method. He serves as a senior minister and spiritual director of the Agape Bay Area Spiritual Center in Oakland. Additionally, he is the host of Awakened Living TV and Awaken Living Radio. And welcome today. So was pastor the right word or? <laughs> Minister is perfect, yes. There's so many different titles, right? Thank you, Renee. I'm delighted to be with you. And I really love your opening about the conscious work that we do in the addiction field. And I know we're gonna to get to that. You know, I, I, as I've been reflecting on Christmas and what the Christmas message is for me, it's really the message the story of the birth of a new consciousness so whether we're religious or not whether we're buddhist whether we're christian whether we're hindu whatever we whatever uh, path we have or maybe no path there's a lot of us out there that are spiritual but not religious the christmas story to me is much less about an individual person it's much more about how we birth a new consciousness and there's no mistake you know we, we pretty much historically know that the man named jesus if he existed in the way we believe was not born on december 25th it came from the pagan tradition around the solstice which is the time of the longest night so the Christmas story to me is actually quite simple. It's we have moved through this period of darkness. That to me represents that internal darkness where we move within and we really do work on some of those deeper issues that we might call shadow work those old beliefs and ideas that keep us feel stuck and limited. So the Christmas story represents 
us walking through that and we're moving back into the light. The Christmas story to me is really about the birth of the light. It's the birth of the infinite potential and possibility of a deeper reality for us, a reality that's not based in the content. I want to speak for a moment of the difference between consciousness and content. Consciousness uh, with a capital C is that unchangeable truth that we are. If, if we have more of a religious perspective, we might call that our God self or our inner God. Uh, if we're not that, we would call that the pure essence that we are, our true nature, our Buddha nature, that place within us that's unharmed and unharmable. Then we have content. The content is what we've collected up along the way, right? It's the stories, the beliefs, the ideas, the limitations that quite often were, were given to us in collective consciousness but at some level we picked up an idea that in some way maybe we're broken, not good enough, not worthy. And I know we're going to talk more about that when we talk about my book. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz in his book, The Four Agreements, calls it the domestication of the human. And I love that because when we domesticate an animal, we domesticate a horse, we call it breaking their spirit. And that to me speaks volumes to what happens as a spiritual being coming in knowing the deepest truth of who we are. Children are so present, so in touch with their emotions, so in awe and wonder of the world for the most part. Then we come into this world that starts teaching us about limitation, about lack, about not enoughness. And so the Christmas story to me represents when we move through that period of darkness, we surrender and we come into this greater way of being. We step out of the content of our life, the stories, the beliefs, and into that pure consciousness that we are. What we know now, science is catching up with what the mystics have been teaching for thousands of years, and that is within each of us is that whole and perfect place. And as we express that, everything in our life changes. We don't even have to change the content or change the story. We can begin to live beyond it. So to me, that's the representation. It's the representation of light, the representation of us moving into a more dynamic, full, and loving life. That is so beautiful. And, and this is this winter solstice time, and we're, we're actually taking this I Am Symposium to the 12th night, which, um, which Hulda, one of my wind goddesses, has everything to do with. So I'm very excited. And, you know, the whole winds of spirit thing started from this idea that God is winds. And, and it, when the pagans were out in the fields and when they were hunter-gatherers, they, they traveled by this greater power that was called wind. And then when they became farmers, they started their planting seasons based in the wind and the compass is based in the wind all of these things and all of a sudden it became the holy spirit it became ruach it, you know it became nirvana it was wind and so you say that so eloquently and i think you're going to love my book um no I, I will i know i will <laughs> but today we're going to talk about your book and this idea of conscious recovery and as we go there, I just want to say one thing. Yesterday, I was talking to my 24-year-old niece, and she said, I don't believe in God. And I said, well, how about the wind? And she said, well, how do I talk to the wind? I said, well, you, you don't have to talk to the wind. You just go right outside, and you feel the wind on your face. And is that bigger than you are today? And so on this, this holy day, uh, for whatever, whether it's pagan, whether it's Christian, whether uh, you know, Hanukkah just ended a couple of nights ago, that 
clearly this is a time of celebrating the return from the darkness to the light. And I believe that your book brings this whole thing full circle of this conscious recovery that we all know that there's not one path to recover. There's one recovery that has many roads, whether it's the wind road or your conscious recovery road. So let's talk about your new book and what brought you to that point as a therapist, as a minister, that you knew that there was something that wasn't being served in the community towards the addictive community that you wanted to go beyond that. Well, thank you. I love that. And I'm feeling the energy of it right now as you're speaking. And the energy is gratitude. Gratitude that my life took me also 30, uh, 31 years ago to a place of absolute darkness. I can remember the holidays feeling so much like I wanted to connect and love, but I had lost the ability because I had built so much armor around my heart. Conscious recovery came through my experience, not only in my own 30 years of recovery, but working in this field for a decade now, full-time doing spiritual care at top-tier top high-end treatment programs. And what I have noticed is so much of the treatment modalities focus on the symptoms and the behaviors without getting down to some of the root causes. I really love that you talked about the multiple paths, and I want to be clear about conscious recovery. It's not at all intended to be a one and only. Um, the way I see conscious recovery is whatever other program you're working, whatever, whatever uh, type of therapy or treatment you're involved with, my intention for conscious recovery is that it will assist you in deepening and assist you in having more of a conscious approach. And what I mean by conscious recovery, and I guess right out of the gate, what I have noticed, and when I say noticed, I've experienced it in my own work, the observer has a profound effect. A lot of times in this field, and I know Renee, you know, we sit in clinical meetings and we hear people talked about as their diagnosis. And what I come in with from a spiritual lens, what it means to me is I look through the behavior, through all that what we call a diagnosis and into that essential wholeness that that person is. It has a profound effect. It's not me that's doing it. It's that I'm open and receptive to seeing the wholeness in that person. So conscious recovery isn't a method of attaining something, but returning to a greater truth. So we can talk more about, you know, how that's all laid out, but that's the fundamental and essential part that we're, we're operating from a place of wholeness that within each and every person addicted or not is that place that not only wants to heal, but has everything within them that they need in order to return to a place of awe, wonder, love, and connection. And that's so true because I know for myself that I stopped going, I don't go very often to 12 step meetings because when they sit around and go around the room and say what, how many years and what chips they've taken, you know, I don't think that they, they uh, applaud my going to the jungle and doing medicine work, which took me down to the root of my own suffering to the place where I could truly be happy. And I, in my book, I, I go through these, these steps because those are the outlined spiritual steps of every tradition. And I think we, could, we can talk on that. Um, but, you know, Bill talked about that people recovered. And, and we, I had to learn the biggest lesson in my life, and, and I would like to hear what you think about this, that I had to learn was that the person, the alcoholic or the person out there, the drug addict, is whole. They are perfect. And any less than that, perfection is me playing God. 
that me thinking that I have something over on the person who can't get served or the person who keeps going out or the person who picks up the heroin. I say that there's no bad experience. There is no, there's no bad experience unless you take that final needle and you, you die today. And that might be your experience too. I don't know, but every experience counts. Yes. Well, what I I love what you're saying is when when we shift from looking at addiction as the problem and what I what my experience of what you're speaking to is, you know, someone with 20, 23, 24 years using the I am. I am is so important to me. It's fundamental to my work. There's a whole section in my book called the power of language and what language am I using about myself? Not that there's some magic in words, although there is magic in words, but it's more an indicator of how I'm really being with myself. So if I attach my I am to I am broken I am there's something wrong with me I am um, an addict I'm once we label that and I want to be really clear it's both and I'm we're not I don't think you are and I'm certainly not saying that we don't need to identify that early on but you know I was sitting in meetings 20 years later thinking I'm not going to affirm that anymore because there's a place of wholeness now um, in my book conscious recovery I've identified three root causes and I'd love to share this with you Renee and all your viewers um, to see if this lands through this lens, the, through this spiritual lens, the three root causes of addictive behavior are unresolved trauma, spiritual disconnection. And what I mean by spiritual disconnection is that disconnection from that essential self. And the third one is toxic shame. And that's really what we're talking about now. When I have a sense of brokenness and I'm talking about myself as uh, of my brokenness, when we shift to looking at addiction, and I call it actually a brilliant strategy rather than a coping mechanism, because it was brilliant at the time. When I'm working with a client and we can get to that place of, oh, wow, I was trying to manage what felt broken within with this behavior, this symptom, I mean, this uh, substance, the question then becomes, is it still working? And that's a point of power that was in my life and for the client too. It doesn't mean you need to stop drinking and using, you know, we know how that works, right? It comes from a place of, I felt really broken, disconnected. I felt so much shame. I have all this unresolved trauma. I was using drugs and alcohol to try to feel safe, to try to numb out. We get to a place because, you know, we don't call it addiction until it causes problems. We just call it fun before that. (laughs) And once it starts causing those problems and that person can empower themselves, which is different than powerlessness, empower themselves to say, I deserve a life filled with love and connection. That substance, that addictive behavior is no longer serving me. That's a point of power because then we can say, now what? And that's that big doorway we can walk through and start doing some of the other, um, you know, steps that you're referring to, to how we do recover. And I think that's so, so important. And you must love the I am symposium. Everyone's always saying, when did you buy that name? How do you own that? You, (laughs) I thought, should have thought of that first. (laughs) We were excited the day we found this, Um, that this I am-ness and, and that, you know, the winds lately have keep reminding me that we're just a small speck of dust in this, this cosmos. So what do you think about that? Are we, you know, how much can we get to of this consciousness in one lifetime or, or, you know, are, are, is this the lifetime where we're going to, you know, float away? I mean, I mean, there's so addiction right now is probably the highest, or at least we, we can track that it is ever. 
What do you, why do you say about that in your book? Well, it's, it's fascinating because I think there's a couple of things that I'll speak to. One, we live in a highly addictive culture and there's no surprise that America has one of the highest, if not the highest addiction rates. Again, we come in with this sense of deep connection with who we are and we get taught that we need to strive and compete and be better than. Uh, we need, there's a lot of separation. There's us and them. Social media is ramping that up. I need to look really good on the outside. And then what's happening spiritually for someone quite possibly, and we're seeing the, addic the addiction coming from this, is that's extremely traumatic for someone to not be seen as the truth of who they are. If we were simply to be with our children, because children actually are our teachers, they're closer to spirit, they're closer to the wind, they're closer to God, they're our teachers, and when we're willing to see them as the, the God self that they are, they can thrive in that. That's not what most of us got, right? We got all this, uh, this other, these other experiences. So in my book, Conscious Recovery, the very first step, once we've identified the root causes, the very first step, and this is the chapter in the second section of my book called Breaking the Cycle of Addiction, is creating safety. Many people feel unsafe in this world. We, uh, you know, again, when we're living in that us and them and good and bad, creating inner and outer safety is the fundamental first step. And then the next step I go into in my book is unlearning. What are those ideas and those beliefs that keep me feeling shame? I am broken. I am not worthy. I am lazy. And if it's okay, if I use expletives, I am a piece of shit is what we hear a lot of people saying. It breaks my heart. And I was there once myself. I felt like I did not deserve love or connection. So unlearning is an important step because again, we're operating under the knowing that, that there's underneath all that there's wholeness and perfection. So as we use our I am and start shifting that, that's where I talk about the power of language. When we practice these spiritual principles, start to question the beliefs and the ideas, start affirming that I am from that spiritual place, miraculous shifts happen. And to answer your question, you know, it can take a lifetime or it can happen in an instant. I think we're waking up in a very, very in rapid acceleration right now in the awakening on the planet. And whenever you have that rapid acceleration, anything not like it's going to show up. We see that in our political system, right? We could call evil showing up. I'm not a big fan of that, but let's say unconsciousness, selfishness is really showing up because the vibration is raising. So the, the light workers, the, 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 the wind people, those of us who are living this spiritual truth, our role right now is to maintain that and hold that focus and not get sucked in. Once we get sucked in, it gives it power. That's how we have the president we have. You know, people gave that, that person so much power. So now it's staying true to the awakening that's happening on the planet, that love is much stronger than that. And it will always, always show up in the midst of even the darkness. And maybe that's the Christmas story right there. Focus on the light. Allow the darkness. We don't have to pretend like it's not there, but let's not dive in and get in the muck. And that's a great reminder for today when you're at home with your families and friends and the, the politics start around the, the di dinner table, <laughs> which we heard about yesterday. And also tomorrow, you might want to listen that Kim Luna, uh, big social media, Facebook presence, is the uh, first a mother of three children. And she talks a lot about... A, great continuation about what you were talking about. And this unsafety, that's, I want to go into the, un, the unsafe place because I know for me, you know, I'd come home from Christmas Eve church mm -hmm. and our parents would always go out for a couple of drinks with their friends. 
and we always knew that what was going to ensue was you know the fighting the the you know that and that that unsafe feeling that i had to unlearn in order for christmas to be last year i set the nice table with china and all my friends and that i've had to make my own holiday i had to unlearn that one and learn something new and and how's that shown up in in your life tj Wow, I, you know, I, I love what you're saying because, you know, what happens is something becomes so deeply ingrained that we're, we're unconscious, right? Uh, I recently read a study, I'm never great at giving the facts, but I read a study that 70% <laughs> of the time we're reacting out of an old program. I believe that, right? That's the unconscious. Carl Jung says, as long as it's living in the unconscious, it's running our life and we call it fate. So we bring it into conscious awareness and start to choose. In my own life, I remember my first year of sobriety, I, I was literally depressed every Sunday evening, every Sunday afternoon, didn't know what was going on. And finally, I remembered, well, I was using drugs every weekend for a year. And that was my come down day. That was when I came down. It was still alive in my body. I wasn't even aware it was happening. Now, the holidays can be that for us. Some of us had really wonderful experiences and memories of, ch of childhood, Christmases and Thanksgivings and whatever other holidays we celebrate. Some of us really did not. So as you're saying, you know, one piece that I hear you saying is let's, let's change, let's flip that script. Let's rewrite that story. Let's start looking at like, what is love to me? Does that include my family? Maybe. Does that include my chosen family of friends and spiritual partners? Most likely. Spend some time with that. Safety is an internal and an external. And if we don't have external safety in the beginning of recovery, especially, we're not really going to be able most likely to get to the internal. So that's why spiritual community, loving and supportive friends, that's why treatment works so well, because it's a safe place for people to land and start to unravel that they're not going to be um, bombarded by those messages. So Christmas is an opportunity if you celebrate Christmas. If not, it's become very secular in our country. So I think we all celebrate it on some level. Uh, it's a, play, a time to celebrate the light. It's a time to honor the people that are the light in our lives. You know, consciousness is very powerful. I think back to some of the people that really saw me, my first, my, the, my Aunt Peggy, uh, really saw me, accepted me, accepted me as a gay boy. You know, I remember that. I remember feeling loved around her. My high school teacher, Ms. Pearson, my first spiritual teacher, Mary Helen, they brought a consciousness of love and openness to me that helped me to thrive, not by what they were saying, but how they were being with me. So any holiday, especially this one, is an opportunity to really celebrate that love and connection. And that, that would be a great reminder for those listening at home is to... To, to go do a little memory, go through and see who those people are who brought you the light, even in the darkest days, there mm -hmm. you'll find that my, mine was the Girl Scout counselors. Nice. You know, they, they took me, they took me places to Maine, places I hadn't been. And, and, and so we all have those places, but sometimes it requires a little more deep digging. So TJ's offered, he's going to give you his new book and uh, as a PDF, and when you go over to the gift page, in order to get to the gift page, you do need to be registered for the I Am Symposium. And IamSymposium.com, register, you'll get the schedule and the gift pages. And I, for one, I'm going to download that book because I'm excited to read it. Give us one final thought that people can, the prayer that they should carry through with them today or through the, this darkness of these, uh, this 12th night 
how would you want to leave people to remember you with? What I want to leave people with is simply this, and I'm going to tie it into the I am. I'm so grateful for you, Renee, doing the I am symposium. I absolutely love that. I close almost every group I facilitate with something I call the I am process. So there's no, no surprise that you and I are connecting in this way. What I want to leave everyone with in this moment is simply that beneath anything, any behavior you have, any story of rightness and wrongness, any story of someone that's harmed you, any shame that you've done something that's unforgivable, there is a place within you that's whole and perfect. There is a place within you that absolutely is magnificent and is that light that we celebrate today. So my invitation for you is to begin to shift that I am to what is truer. I am bountiful. I am love. I am magnificent. I am connected. I am open-hearted. Spend some time with that. I sometimes will simply sit for a minute and see how many I am's I can come up with. I am love. I am open. I am receptive. I am willing to see a deeper truth here. So you are a magnificent being of light and you've come to this earth with a specific purpose. And that purpose is to share that light in the world so that each of us can wake up more and more to this deeper reality. Well, on that, I would like to invite you over to the Wind Clan to let's make a list of the I amness today because sometimes other people can reflect that I am back to you. And is there a little closing prayer since you're a minister you could take us out here with today? Do you have one? Absolutely. So I invite you to simply gently close your eyes and we begin by taking a nice deep breath, that breath of life. And on the exhale, we simply allow ourselves to settle in. And so what I know to be true is that gratitude is the activating spiritual technology that will move us into our heart space. So in this moment, I know the truth of who and what you are. I see the truth of who and what you are without even being able to physically see. You are love. You are light. You are God expressing you now step into the fullness of your life. I see this for you. I see this greater reality. So we close this time of prayer with gratitude as we began. Gratitude for all of life. Gratitude for the darkness. Gratitude for the light that we are. We simply open up to this greater reality now. And so it is. Amen and Merry Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone.